Hello. Are we recording already? Yeah, we've been recording for a while. Hello and welcome to Movie Schmovie, episode 93. 93. Also known you. as 093. What what were the songs of 1993, Ronald? Oh, man. God damn it. <laughs> Throw you off your game real quick? You did. If you notice we're missing one voice, John is actually running around frantically trying to find his notes so that he can speak uh, accurately about the titles that we are going to discuss on this episode. Oh, did you guys hear that? Good news. Found he found this. it. It was in a different room that he had to go up and down steps to retrieve. Welcome back, John. Hey, guys. That's John Walker. I'm Steve Ritter and Ronald James. Yeah. That's Pop- him. Popular That's him right songs there. of 1993. Number what do we got? One, Whitney Houston, I Will Always Love You. Oh, Tag team. Classic. Whoop, there it is. Whoop, no, Womp. Whoop. 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 It's got an MP. Really? Look at their spelling. You have it right in front of your oh, face. Oh, there right? were two versions. Do you know about 69 Boys? Woot, there it is. It, that was different. That was Woot. Oh, oh, oh okay. Woot, there it is. And Woomp. It was weird. It, was uh, it sounds weird song. to me. One was gross. Yeah. One was like gross. And then this one was like a little more radio Okay, friendly. so we got two. What's the third one you want to throw out there? Um, Janet Jackson, That's the Way Love Goes. Very good songs. Yeah, great songs. I was 10 at the time. Loving this shit. <laughs> Soaking this. I, I, I miss buying tapes. I miss buying tapes. I miss buying physical media, man. Okay. That's all I was going to say. That's such a heartwarmingly old-fashioned attitude for you to have. Yeah, man. I, I thought I thought your generation was all about the, the saga bites out of the air and beaming <laughs> it into your... Well, uh, I happen to be in between generations in terms of purchasing. I, I remember going to buy records. I remember going to buy tapes. These were, these were all very valid ways to get music, so... I'm yeah. I'm on the cusp of the change. It's weird to talk to people that that are just a couple years younger than me that did not have that experience Absolutely. at all. Yeah, and they've been robbed, man. They've been robbed. They don't know the value of anything. Well, a friend of mine uh, recently stopped by and was in one of those zip cars, oh, and it yeah, got yeah. me to thinking about how zip cars are kind of like the streaming audio or video <laughs> of the automotive world because it's like this. It's like and it's it like made, the Netflix. Well, of it just cars. it just made me wonder if in twenty years, thirty years, what's going to make you seem outmoded is if you are are if it's all about possessing and owning things, right, you, as opposed to just kind of having access and not being you know not being forced to miss something, as opposed to like the it, I don't know. It always used to seem like if you don't keep a nice library of of these materials, then then how are you going to have access to this yeah. stuff? Well, now it's obvious you can have access to whatever, whenever. What if wherever. they have subscription based zip cars where like you pay a I mean that's kind of what it is. It is. It's like an annual. That's what it is. It's that's an what zip annual car is. Yeah. Oh no, I didn't know it was an and annual. And when you get in the car, there's was... like a, a credit card for you to use for the gas and everything like that. So you're oh, just basically wow. using it. You know, I guess theoretically, and it's. I think it's low. I mean, not to. We're not trying to have this be a commercial for Did zip cars. We just cars. start promoting this company. But, uh, <laughs> The other thing is, it was a it was a hybrid car, and I haven't been around that many hybrid cars. That thing was super quiet. I had to go up to it to make sure you know, that it was running, actually yeah. running. Unbelievable. Same. Did it? Is it a? It, so with hybrids, I, I've seen hybrids that are more electric than. It's weird. I, I, there's a guy that works at my um, work. Works at my job. I hate when works at my it. job. <laughs> at my work. That no, he doesn't work so at weird. his work, Steve. He works at his job. Well, you, you know what I'm talking about when people say at my work. Yeah, at my work. Oh, that makes me feel weird. You you say that, don't you? No, I was at just saying work. to make fun of you. Oh, at, at my job. But I can start. Yeah. <laughs> There's a guy that has a hybrid, but it's like you plug it in. You plug it in. Mm-hmm. It's an EV. How much gas? Do you put gas in it too? Like that's that's very. Confusing. Some of them you don't anymore because it says hybrid on the back. Yeah. Oh, it does. 
I don't know, but some a lot of places have those like little uh, like closer to the door of like restaurants. If mm-hmm. you notice like new restaurants going up, one out by where I live, there's like four spots right by the front yeah. door. that has the little charging stations. You just pull your car up, plug it in, charge, and eat your dinner and your charge. Up I know shit. you said charging station, but I like to think that you said chargey station. Chargey, yeah, that sounds, that sounds <laughs> better. So cute. What happens if you go a across station? Yeah, a little charging station. Country, or you go on a long trip. How do you plan for that? That's a I big guess a part just... of the problem is the infrastructure not being there yet. Right. Yeah. <laughs> this doesn't sound take promising. A, take an extension cable. Because <laughs> I'm having a feeling that, like, right in the middle of the country, that's probably less of those. Yeah. Man, that sucks. Yeah, well, that's that's now, and that's probably the future. Yeah. But mm-hmm. this is episode 93. And we're going to talk about two big releases. I think two releases that kind of have rabid followings of different sorts mm-hmm. one's a disney princess film yes and one is uh what they call a coen brothers film. which you know nothing makes nothing <laughs> makes my heart beat faster <laughs> what they call? than a disney princess film yeah yeah well the day i, will I mean come, than a coen brothers film. the day will come that we can say that those two things are the same yeah a mm-hmm. coen brothers directed disney princess film holy oh, who said that gosh. couldn't happen oh, anything's possible it didn't happen this cars time. plug in now john yeah. so i mean right. let's just say that's nobody that's owns anything anymore <laughs> yeah. So yeah, we're, I think we're gonna go. We're gonna talk about Frozen first. Ronald, right. Ronald wasn't able to see this film with us. Yes, unfortunately, there's nothing I like better than to see the next Disney princess film with my buddy Ronald James. I know. Oh man. As know. far as I'm concerned, Steve, and I think you probably agree. I already do. It's not a Prisney film. Prisney. Not a Prisney. Or is it? Yeah. I think they missed out on yeah. that term. We should. It's we like need a, to copyright that like, now. It's like a chargey station. Yeah. A, a, a Prisney film. It's like a. It's like Shawshank Redemption is a Prisney film. Um. No, it's not a princess film if I'm not watching it with Ronald James. Oh, man, that's that, yeah. that's He's not, exactly how I feel. Man, <laughs> I'm so mad I didn't see that movie. Well, Ronald has Sigh. been sort of like trying to, uh, trying. To, he's been sort of like, we don't have to talk about Frozen for very long, do we? I don't think he imagines that he missed that much by yeah. not going to see Frozen. I think whether I saw it or didn't see it, I'd probably have the same reaction. <laughs> which is? Which is? Meh. Yeah. <laughs> Meh. Just a little prisoning. <laughs> well, I, I, I think I... I, I've kind of fall on the more positive side of the meh scale with mm-hmm. the movie. Um, I, I think, you know, Disney seems to be kind of going back towards uh, like this new hybrid, bringing in the whole hybrid mm-hmm. idea mm-hmm. of uh, like the computer animated versus the hand drawn. I mean, I know that initially when this movie, you and I were talking about this earlier, John, like this movie's kind of been in process for a very long time. Yeah, actually, it dates back. Way back to Walt Disney's era, yeah. oh, where wow. where like they were they were looking at a bunch of Hans Christian Andersen, uh, you know, fairy tales or, yeah. or short stories to turn into films. One of which was The Little Mermaid. Right. There actually was going to be a film that was going to be almost like a compilation film of about Hans Christian Andersen that was going to intercut live action stuff with animated, animated yeah. versions of his stories. A lot of that fell apart, and this story, which is based on the Snow Queen, is yeah. that the name of it? Yep. Was um. They had difficulty developing it for one of their movies because the protagonist, the the main character is kind of this villainous character and they were having a hard time, you know, breaking that story so that they could have the, the, the Snow Queen be sort of the villain of the story but also kind of the main character in the right. story. And it, it makes sense when you see this film. It makes sense that... If they were going, I mean, I have, I honestly don't have a very clear picture of the of the Hans Christian Andersen story yeah, in my mind, but it makes sense if that was the case. You can kind of see how this movie represents, like it's both a throwback to those those princess films and kind of an attempt, at least, at doing a more modern kind of girl power spin on yeah. one of those things. Yeah, I mean, so basically, like you were saying, back in like I think it was like the '40s, 
is when it all kind of started with that whole initiative. Mm-hmm. And it basically got got canned and it didn't come back up until like the, around the late 90s during the whole Disney boom of like the Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, Lion King, Aladdin, all these hugely successful films. And because of what you just said, like trying to flesh out that story to kind of fit what they were doing then, it didn't really happen. And multiple times up and down, it was on, it was off. And at one point, uh, even the, the entire team that had been a part of Beauty and the Beast was was the team that was going to make this film happen. Again, that fell apart. And after Tangled was such a success, that's kind of what brought Frozen back to being developed. They changed the name from the Snow Queen to Frozen. Um, was that when they chose to make it a, a, a CG instead of hand-drawn animation? Yeah, well... I, yeah, so I think it was like in 2011 is when that decision was made right after Tangled was such a success because Tangled was a part of that that hybrid as well. Like it yeah. had a mix of hand-drawn and... At one point, though, Frozen was supposed to be the classic hand... It was going to be that again. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think because of how successful Tangled was, that's kind of the, the, the route they went and they kind of mixed up the whole team and, and the co-directors on this film... Um, Chris Buck and Jennifer Lee. Right, who... I, I wasn't very familiar with either of them until I really kind of looked into them. And Jennifer Lee was was also, they're both co-writers on this, but it was involved with Wreck-It Ralph. She was one of the screenwriters. Yeah. And actually, they brought her on to this film as a screenwriter. Right, right. And it sounds like, in the end, Chris Buck, the co-director, he worked more on the animation side, and she worked more on the story side. And then they, uh, uh, we apparently, you're nodding, we apparently both read Wikipedia today. Uh, it's a great resource. <laughs> no, because it's really cool. But, but it's like, then they said that they then work together more closely in the editing process, yes, which to me exactly. sounds like a really cool process. That's a good dynamic. And, and, and I would say that the movie works in, that, in a very formalized way. I found myself, I haven't seen Tangled since I initially saw it a couple of years ago. I wonder if I would still like it as much now. But my impression when I was watching this was I was I found myself thinking, oh, I like Tangled better at several different points. And there, it kind of reminds me of Tangled. I yeah, mean, it's definitely. got similar, like the, the, the horse in Tangled is kind of replaced by a reindeer in this story. Right. And you have kind of a goofy, the, the male lead is kind of a goofy but heroic character. And you have a girl who's very self-realized uh, and it's about her empowerment, but she does still have this relationship with this guy. I mean, there's all these things that feel like, again, it's that modern spin on the, the typical Disney movie. I yeah. think they do a pretty good job with that. But I, I found I found in um, in Frozen just the character designs were sort of blah. There's nothing really that was that unique about them. And there were a couple of points where it was one of the big musical moments where I found myself, I, I really felt like I was watching Maybe this is not something that's known to all of you, but if you've been around like a young girl or a house with a young girl in it in the last five or six years, you may have seen one of these uh, direct-to-DVD computer-generated animation Barbie movies that has like a fairy tale slant Mm -hmm. to it or whatever. I felt like I was watching one of those, which to me, when I'm watching a Disney film, to feel like the character design is kind of a, a, a stumbling block and to feel like I just am not that impressed by the visuals, to me that's sort of a shocker because even when Disney's material is not that interesting, usually the the animation side of it really holds up. Right. I, I think there were stretches in this. It just felt so paint-by-numbers to me. It did not feel like a, a great new step in this genre. It felt like something that felt really kind of old hat in that right. in that way. I don't know. That that was just that was the, the biggest... The biggest uh, miss of the movie for I, me. I didn't really catch on to it, like the animation issue that you're, I think, going with. But what you kind of touched on was the music. Mm-hmm. I think the music's there. I don't think it's as overwhelmingly impressive as like all these films that are is being compared to. Yeah. Particularly like Little Mermaid and Beauty and the Beast and, and yeah. even Aladdin. Um, and I think one of the biggest things that bothered me about this movie was 
Adina Menzel, like was she's the voice and the singing voice of this of the of yeah, and Elsa, it's her kind Snow of Queen. shrill singing voice that, that yeah, her the big number the let it let yeah, go, that's the one I'm talking about. Like yeah, I I I was very unimpressed with that song and her performance. I mean, like her, I, you know, they make these movies like it's got like a vibe of you can see that they're going to have a Frozen Broadway musical. Disney's going to have this, and they have mm-hmm. this big, huge Broadway voice in this movie. But it just does not fit. Like mm-hmm. I don't, I, I didn't find any of her singing parts, even the even the duets that she has with, with Kristen Bell. But it was super distracting. And actually, Kristen Bell, by the way, does a does a fine job, and it's like her voice. You just think about her speaking voice. She's perfect for one of those again Disney princess type she's a, roles. She's great. She's got it's like she's got that right amount of kind of spunkiness and kind of every girl. But there's cute. also something kind yeah. of theatrical and yeah. very controlled. But yeah, it just I, felt like Menzel's voice was too big yeah. for this. And it was kind of abrasive to me. Yeah, very and, shrill. And, yeah, and, and, and Bell's voice just, it sounded like, if you want to compare it to somebody like, you know, the, the singing voices of Ariel or of Bell, it, it was much more in, in line with that. Ronald's or, always comparing things to Ariel I know, and it always goes back to Beauty and the Beast and the Mermaid, yeah. but... But you know what I'm getting yeah, at. There. No. Like that was the biggest thing coming out of the theater that bothered me. I think overall, I really enjoyed the film. Mm-hmm. I don't think it, I, I didn't find it as great as the hype that I had kind of going in with it. Um, the only other thing that kind of bothered me, but I think played incredibly well to the audience was Olaf, the snowman. Mm-hmm. Uh, Josh Gad voices this snowman that, that, uh, that Elsa created. And, you know, it's kind of like this, uh, you know, a sidekick for, for Anna. And yeah, her it's adventure. like, she's got this magical ability, yeah, which she's born with. And, and she magically brings this snowman to life at right. some point in the story. And then he kind of becomes one. You didn't, you didn't like Olaf. I don't think I did. I mean, like, I really like... Olaf I, saved the movie for me. I liked his song about Summer. Yeah. I thought that was super great and funny and cute. And I, just something about that, that that character, like the characterization of that, that talking, singing, dancing snowman mm-hmm. in a Disney film, Yeah, it did not fit with me. I just feel like that, that, that element of nature, I don't know that I've ever really accepted that in a Disney film like that before. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's usually like a human or a, an animal. I, I don't feel like you've ever really... Or I, that I can recall... Like, it that kind of character feels to me like these other like direct to DVD okay. animated films that you're talking well, about. Well, I'll confess that even though I thought he was the bright spot of the movie, I thought the character design was uninspired, just like everything. Yeah. So it's like from the trailers and stuff, I wasn't going like, "Gotta see more of that snowman." But maybe it's just you mentioned this his musical number. Maybe it, I got so won over by the fact that these other songs were kind of bland and kind of expected. And then here comes this song that is like a funny joke that plays yeah. off of this character's naivety and tells you a lot about him, but also has this hint of darkness to it. I mean, basically, the, the gist of his song <laughs> is he's a snowman who doesn't realize what it means to be a snowman because he lives in this winter wonderland, mm-hmm. and he can't wait for summertime. And he's singing a song about wanting it to be summertime, and then he keeps getting to this point where he says, and then I'll do whatever snowmen do in the summer, you know? Uh. But we, everyone who's hearing him sing the song knows that, oh, he's just going to melt, he's going to die. And they're all like, should we tell him? <laughs> I mean, it's, and it was a funny little note and it added this little poignant quality to his character that really was kind of his through line is that he, con- he continues to sort of want to help and and, ha- and not have any kind of sense of his self, which I thought that was just kind of, like you said, very cute. That piece and was great. Character. I, I, think if that, I think visually, if that was anything but a snowman, I mean, I know it would, yeah. would no, kill the song. I kind of know song, what you're saying. But it's just something about it. And like, you know, being at the theater and seeing the snowman stand like mm-hmm. dancing with like a hula skirt on. Yeah. It, that just felt like a DreamWorks animated I, film to I, me. You took the word right out of my mouth. I Doesn't was actually going to say that like everything mm. about this movie felt kind of kind of DreamWorksy, and then when I went into it, I was like, oh okay, I can see again. I saw how it was turning into a kind of a, a Disney you, princess. When film. I hear DreamWorks, I just hear not as good as 
Well, that's what we're saying. Yeah, I mean, you know what I mean? Kind of, like, but I mean, like the character Disney. design of this. Of I mean, yeah, there's so many things about it that I, it's almost like what we're both kind of hinting at is that the basic competence of the the sort of Lasseter era yes. Disney and their ability to make these things work. It's kind of reminds me of the way that even a mediocre Pixar film will have formal qualities to it that make you admire it or at least make you realize there's you can you can feel sometimes you see the seams but you can feel the script at work you can feel that they developed it and they yeah. pounded it out yeah. and this movie definitely doesn't feel undercooked in that way sure it just doesn't feel like it presents enough that was that was new and i do think that that's one of the other things it's like there's something about that yeah that the design of that character when you just see it it doesn't scream this what we did. We came up with seventy five ideas, and this was the best one. Right. It feels like this is the third vi- version <laughs> we came up with. You know, I couldn't agree with you more. Oh, Which yeah. you always feel like with Pixar and Disney, that's the one thing they seem to get right is the absolute perfection of the designs and everything. You know, so yeah, no, you got it. That's it. I mean, that's all I kept thinking was was that character feeling like a DreamWorks thing, and just being kind of missing with the this. I, I did enjoy some of those songs. The first mm-hmm. number that uh. <clears throat> That they share together in the earlier part of the film, like I think it's called "Do You Want to Build a Snowman." Yeah. I really enjoyed that song. That was very sweet, and like I think it sets the tone for their relationship. And a lot of the movie I did really enjoy. I mean, it did. Ha- it does remind me a lot of Tangled in a lot of ways. Um, but I, but I agree with you. Like I walked out immediately feeling, and I've seen Tangled multiple times mm-hmm. since it, and I and I love Tangled. Okay, see, I wondered about that. I, yeah, but... I love Tangled. I think the music is great. I love Mandy Moore's voice in it. I think she is that. That's great. And. And at the parks, like Tangled is becoming a. I always go to Disney. Tangled is becoming a big part of that Disney princess world, which I think is really cool. I keep looking for reasons. Of course, it's not relevant now, but for the longest time, I looked for reasons not to like Mandy Moore, and she kept winning me over. Every time I would hear her sing, every time I would see her in something, yeah. she would win me over. And so yeah. it's like, it's not like I don't know. I don't know where I stand now. <laughs> but for a while there, I was like, I'm, I'm gonna have to. It's almost like the way I had to with. I had to like someone had to look at my iPhone and see that I had a couple of Kelly Clarkson songs <laughs> on there. I was like, am I gonna have some? Is, it, is Mandy Moore gonna pop up on my day? Maybe. But uh, no, it's interesting that you would mention that because uh that was my thought was i wonder if tangled holds up or if i right. just was won over by it but i remember right. thinking princess and the frog had had kind of magical qualities to I, it as I well that too so i and this one was just maybe a little bit less magical in that sense for me i didn't feel that that sure hand behind it but there are still i mean i you know i'm thinking now there are plenty of endearing moments and maybe what you said is is just on the nose steve where it's like it is a little meh but it's on the it's on the reliable positive side of meh yeah and I mean, I, I do think I, I probably put it between Princess and Tangled. I think I mm-hmm. liked it marginally more than Princess. Uh, but I haven't seen that since it came out, too. So I'm just, just such a sucker for the hand-drawn stuff that I think that, Princess, that, to that's me... That's what stands out. I mean, and and that, that Firefly? Yeah. Oh, man. that Or what? Is he a Firefly? Yeah. Uh, that, that whole story. The, oh, man, that got me yeah. in that movie. Great, that was, great that was actually... I didn't see it with them, but Nikki and Henry were watching it together, my wife and my son, and mm-hmm. Nikki was crying. And Henry I, was must have been like three. And like... Went over and comforted her, and it was the. That's adorable. It was like the. It was like for the longest time, it was the cutest story I'd ever heard in my life. Was how he went over and was like, "Don't cry, mommy," you know. <laughs> but um, no, I think that it's like there's obviously something about Disney. There is something about that magic. Like I grew up with those films. Not only grew up with them, but I remember when I was in high school and I was a big animation nut. Uh, the kind of this the sort of 90s renaissance or late 80s yeah. early 90s renaissance I, you know i i still can't i mean little mermaid is one of my favorite animated films of all time agreed and i don't think that i don't think beauty and the beast was quite as good i i didn't think aladdin was quite i mean so in a weird way i feel like they I all love the aladdin i feel like aladdin is great i'm just saying that to me the little mermaids sort of set the template yeah, for this yeah. almost entire era of disney and they're still kind of going back to that template of yeah. you know kind of spunky heroine 
give her something, give her a challenge, give her kind of a, a moving song. I just, I, I guess the other thing too is I think about when we're talking about whether the songs are there or not. Little Mermaid, I think, just hits on all cylinders. There's three or four just like classic songs oh, in that man. that I would still probably enjoy. Um, I had the soundtrack. Oh, I did too. Yeah, I have it on my computer on tape. right now. <laughs> I, had it on tape. I have every Disney sound. I mean, I, yeah, I I love Disney films. I really enjoy this movie. It it you know isn't what my expectation wanted it to be, but it, I think it is a very good sign that Disney is going like Disney animation outside of Pixar mm-hmm. has the train rolling on the right track. I think, and mm-hmm. I think it's only going to continue to improve. Isn't it weird that Pixar's had a couple of three in a row that yeah. were not that. Not that inspired. I mean, even though I thought Monsters University was a lot of fun, it's it's not a movie that feels like it had to be made. Agreed. Yeah, you know, agree. and then yeah. like even though I enjoyed Brave, I think that I find that that I'm I'm putting Brave in a in a in a higher category than most people are. But I would say that the things that I had found myself admiring about Frozen, it reminds me of when I was watching Brave. One of the things I admired about it was that it was a mother daughter story. And you don't get to see that very often. Yeah, that's true. I think when I was watching Frozen, I was thinking this story of the two sisters and the way that the movie almost makes the concept of the love interest irrelevant or the concept of there being a villain irrelevant. That was, that was great. There was one false note for me and I don't want to give too much away except to say that there's kind of a villainous character that, I don't think needed to be a villainous character, and it seemed like they were building up to something much more interesting with this character. And I can't really say much more than that. But there's a character who I thought the whole point of this character was just going to be, oh, I guess sometimes sparks fly, and then and then there's nothing between you and that person. But instead, this character kind of turned into a villain. It almost yeah. it almost changed the meaning of uh, I, yeah. I, I, there's nothing less interesting than hearing someone talk about a movie in code <laughs> so that they can't reveal what they're really talking about. So I'll yeah. stop there. But there, yeah. you, you know what I'm talking I, about. I got you. There's kind of an I unnecessary agree. villain turn that looked like it was building towards something, a more interesting dismissal of this character. I say go see it. I mean, I, I definitely recommend it. It's, I think it's, uh, you know, just in terms of being in theaters now for the holidays, mm-hmm. you know, in between Thanksgiving and Christmas. I mean, I'm not sure... Actually, I don't even know if there's much other animated on the dock for mm-hmm. for the holidays that are. Hearing you, know, you talk about this movie still doesn't make me want to see it. Yeah, I can't imagine. Well, it's, sar- it, it's it's all sarcasm to begin yeah. with. You don't really like these movies, just right. for people to wonder. It, no, it's, it's <laughs> I don't mind these movies. Mm-hmm. It's just this. I, I think I think it's worth seeing. I mean, I would recommend it to you. Yeah. Still, I think it's still good. I mean, I I saw it twice, and I think, you know, I think it's uh, there's a lot there to enjoy. Mm-hmm. I think just picking it apart is only because I whole Disney animation so dear, yeah. you know. But it's exactly that. In the tradition of Disney films or Pixar films or these movies that are just made with a lot of quality control and a lot of control, period, you know there's something, you know what I mean? If you sit down and watch it, there's going to be something where you're going to go, oh, okay, they did, they had something that they were trying to do and they, they pulled it off. Yeah. Mm. It's just, I, I would say even more so... It, like if this sounds like a movie you need to go see, you'll probably enjoy it. Yeah. If it sounds like a movie you don't need to go see, you don't yeah, need to see stay it. Stay away then. Okay. Just don't, just don't go see it, Ronald. Leave it alone, Ronald. <laughs> Stop giving us such a God. hard time. Back off. So now, Ronald, you're off the hook. We're done talking oh, about yeah, Frozen. Thank you. You're on. That was that. And now onto something that you did see. Oh yeah. Which is what? What do they call this one? Inside Lewin. Am I pronouncing that correctly? Yeah. Except, Except you're missing his it. last name. Yeah. Davis. Uh, <laughs> inside Lewin it's Davis. A, it's got a inside Lewis. Lewis. Yeah. <laughs> inside Lewin. Parentheses. Dot, dot, am I pronouncing that? Yeah. Close parentheses. Davis. Davis. Just yeah, because the, that couldn't fit on most of the marquees, they, they, yeah. they shortened it. I think it, it was a good, cho- good yeah. choice. To mm. the no, inside Lewin Davis, the new movie by these these Cohen brothers I've been hearing so much oh, about. Yeah. The one thing I will say watching this film is I found myself. 
And I think of this anytime I'm a fan of something, because I am a I'm totally a Coen Brothers partisan. I, mm-hmm. I I love their movies in general, and I I have a personal attachment to several of them. Like there's individual films that I have honestly like that are just part of my DNA. But do you, do you find it hard to decide when you're watching a film like that? Are you are you watching a movie and paying more attention to it and giving it more of a benefit of the doubt because you're a fan? Is, do you know what I'm saying? Like being, I, I, like I, being a fan I, I of a director so. or an actor, d- does that lead you sometimes? A, is that a positive thing that it leads you sometimes to give a story credence that you wouldn't normally give credence yeah. to? Or B, are you being, are you like looking for something to be a fan of because you want to like it? Now, I would say I, I personally, I thought this was a beautiful movie and I, I really enjoyed it. Same. And I may have loved it, but... I did find myself thinking throughout the film. I, I'm, I'm trying to separate it. I'm trying to imagine I didn't know who the Coen brothers were, mm-hmm. and I didn't know who made this movie, and I'm just sitting down to watch it. Now, the movie kept winning me over, but I do think that's an interesting notion, is like being a fan, does it kind of obscure the truth sometimes? Yeah. I'm, there's something about... I'm a sucker for the pacing of movies like that, mm-hmm. and and that's my bias. I, I, I really think that's my bias. If I if I see a movie that's more of a character study than a first act, second act, third act sort of movie. Which this definitely is yeah, a character and, study. Yeah, and that's that's something that I, I tend to lean towards, and whether I knew that was a Coen Brothers or not, I'm a sucker for it, and that's my bias. And then on top of that, Coen Brothers can do no wrong in my head, but that doesn't mean that I would, I would say that a movie was great if I didn't think it was great. Mm-hmm. So um, I found myself trying not to let that bias get in the way of it. And I do have some problems with the story. Mm-hmm. But overall, yeah, yeah. I think I do try to make it a, a – I try to make it a fair judgment. So I don't know. But, what? I mean, it is true that sometimes whatever gets you in the door is is maybe like maybe being a fan of somebody or, a, yeah. or something is what gets you in the door. But, like, you still, you know, to, in order to be objective, I just find that to be an interesting notion because I've always been a fan. And I know that we all probably have things that we're fans of that we know we're a little bit, like, softer on because we're a fan of it. Oh, yeah. I, it's interesting to me. Like, the Coen brothers are almost like – I almost am going in and going, like, all right, I'm not going to like it just because it's you guys. But then all the little touches that are totally Coen's yeah. That's what wins me over most of the time yeah. in terms of the pacing you mentioned and the, just the scope. And the fact that they do have this control of what's in the frame and the composition, but it doesn't, in, as much as I love Wes Anderson, it's not so hyper-engineered like Wes Anderson's films are where you feel like, I mean, the Coen Brothers movies actually do have a certain amount of kind of randomness and life kind of coursing through them where you feel like maybe that's orchestrated, but it, it you know, the, their movies aren't as stylistically bizarre as their reputation would suggest right mm-hmm. right right yeah i don't know I, I think i think it definitely the the point you're making i think i'm definitely guilty of mm-hmm. uh i think it's i think in some ways it works it works uh to both extremes and in, in in the worst situations like i feel like when i was talking to you guys about uh only god forgives and like you know, people that are loving, not so much a filmmaker in that situation, I think was the point that I was making, but just like a kind of film that you're supposed to like because it's like so arty. But I have made the point before about like Wes Anderson movies and things like that. Like I think people go in and make excuses sometimes because like they want to like it because they love that person or they love that actor or whatever. And I definitely do it with certain people. You know, I definitely make excuses or I'll find myself defending a movie that maybe universally was hated or, you know, disappointing. But um, I'm, I'm I I really I really do love the Coen Brothers films. I don't know that they're like my favorites. Uh, they're definitely filmmakers that I always will see their movies, and I always look to enjoy their movies. And I have I've enjoyed 
the vast majority of them. I did I did feel like this wasn't one that stood out to me though. Mm-hmm. Um, there were some things I really did enjoy. Like I, I agree with you, the pacing I think is great, and I love the 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 characterization of of what we were watching. The idea of a musician in that time, uh, it, it just being like dark and like and kind of desperate and like really no silver lining to it in my eyes, you know, cause I feel like that's the majority of the musicians that were in that time. You know, I'm thinking of like two moments in the movie that were actually kind of warm, but you're right outside of that, like these little glimmers of compassion yeah. that there's, there's really only, I mean, a, a small Mild. handful of them. Yeah, I, I think I I'm saying, one yeah, of them. I'm agreeing. I'm yeah. just saying it's interesting that I, it's not as bleak and relentlessly bleak as a, as a story like that could be. Right. And, but that might be because of the kind of dashes of humor that again, you do come to expect those from a Coen right, Brothers right, film. Right, right, right. And that kind of keeps me into it. I don't know. I just, mm-hmm. I, um, I did really enjoy Oscar Isaac's performance. Um, one of my things I mentioned to you guys that we saw was like, I, and, and, and it is probably something that you pointed out to me, John, which was basically like my issue was it really bothers me in some of these films like where a filmmaking, you know, the duo in this case, like basically they become so popular in their films and even even in small roles that somebody's on the screen for, you know, a moment or two or a couple minutes, you know, and in a lot of other movies, you know, it might just be a supporting person. You know, you've seen that guy before, but you can't place who it is. Yeah. But in this movie, it really kind of like, it was kind of weird to me or almost a little distracting to see the big names in like these little roles. Cause it almost, I don't know. I think, I think it is what you suggested, which is like, you know, that those people are willing to do this because it's like a Coen brothers mo- movie. Right. But it almost distracts me a little bit because I, I feel like, are they going to play into this movie in some other way? Or is, is there more of a function that their name is the third name on the list of this big giant movie poster? Right. You know, having Garrett Hedlund's film uh, name on the film poster, like I'm like, he has like four lines in the movie, you know, mm-hmm. and his character is, I don't know, just kind of forgettable to me. I think is if you look at how everyone, I mean, there's a, there's definitely a couple of like John Goodman. He's the, he's the probably the exception I'd make. I really thought he was great in it. But he also had like a, had more, like you said, more dialogue. Yeah. And then I think Carrie Mulligan had a lot, like she would be maybe the second lead. And yeah. That makes sense. But I think, yeah, I, that didn't throw me off as much because I did feel like Garrett Hedlund still his character still makes an impression on you, even though he's in, in a few scenes. What, what what was the impression he made on you? That, I mean, in the course of this very episodic story of this guy yeah. who's kind of going through, I mean, it's almost like, uh, I've, I described it before I even saw it to a friend of mine as it looked like the kind of movie where it was going to be about a character and you're going to see that day where they take all the lumps, you know, mm-hmm. where they where they take all their lumps for the, like everything that's been coming to them, everything that's been coming home to roost. And mm-hmm. it's not quite that. The movie actually is... Sort of suggests, as as Steve said, that this is just the life of this musician is that he's scrounging for a place to sleep, literally. And he's, you know, we know how much money he's got in his wallet, and we know when he's when he's feeling flush, and we know when he's when he's down. But and not willing to compromise, right? At all, right? Mm-hmm. Opportunity knocked a few times. Yeah, like, that's just like you you write your own check. Almost. But it's also funny to me. Uh, well, back to what I was saying. Yeah, is, sorry, is sorry. In the course of this guy's adventure, I think that the the Garrett Hedlund character kind of represented like one more person that he meets on his path who has their own thing going on, and and there's almost like a missed connection. There's no communication. I mean, because he's like in the car with this guy for hours, and you don't get a sense that they learned anything about each other. And even the way that they kind of exit each other's lives is this sort of happenstance that just throws Lewin into his next piece of his adventure but there's like all these characters that we don't really get to see the resolution you know john goodman's character is another one like we see him for a time but we don't follow him after yeah. a certain event so in that sense i don't know that i don't know that 
like I I could I could describe Garrett Hedlund's character to a certain point. Like he seems to be, seems to be a poet. He seems to be kind of a, I mean, I'm sure he might even be based on somebody. There's probably references galore in this movie that I'm not catching just because sure. I don't know which counterculture figure that guy would be could based be, on. Yeah. But he just kind of seems to me like one more person that Lewin could have had a conversation with and could have had a connection with and doesn't. And to his fault, it's just something about the way he takes in the world. Well, he is very uncompromising. And I, it's, yeah. I'm glad you used that phrase, Steve, because I, I wrote down Shades of Barton Fink. <laughs> uh, because if you'll remember in Barton Fink, John Turturro plays, he's this intensely self-serious artist who like, can't even understand when someone would want to make a, like, a joke with him in conversation. You know, he, he just doesn't get it. He's yeah. so serious, you couldn't tease him about anything. Right, right. And he's gone off to Hollywood to, you know, and he's, he's supposed to be writing a wrestling picture in that film, and he thinks of himself as the serious playwright. And there's even a scene, there's a couple of scenes where John Turturro blows up, and there's a scene where Lewin Davis blows up at a dinner party. And I found myself, I wrote down Shades of Barton Fink at that moment. And what was interesting about Lewin Davis, I don't know if this is a sign that the Coens are not so much softening, but if, if it's a different angle that they're taking. But the, the, in, in the case of Lewin Davis, you get more information about this character. Yeah. And he's not a... As much as I love the Coen Brothers movies, I, I, will, I, will, I understand why people think of their characters as kind of grotesque and exaggerated at times. And I think Lewin Davis, even though he is still that uncompromising kind of prick we see where his pain comes from, or we at least see where a lot of the pain he seems to be dealing with in this movie might be coming from. And it makes you think about that scene where he blows up at the dinner party, rather than it being a Barton Fink moment where it's like the joke is on this artist who takes himself so seriously. In Lewin Davis, there's something kind of like more raw and ugly and human about it. And and the fact that, you know, not just his feelings are real, but the people whose feelings he hurt, their feelings are real. And you get a sense that there's all these people kind of enabling this guy and they all sort of halfway believe in him, but he still has to figure things out for himself. I found that to be actually, I mean, even the more I'm thinking, because we literally just saw this film like a couple of hours ago. Mm-hmm. I, I'm finding myself kind of realizing that that is maybe what the movie was trying to do, was to sort of put you in that position where here's this guy who you would almost want to write off as as being too serious and, and too uncompromising, but he he actually is sort of a damaged guy who who is maybe more fragile than than his exterior is yeah. suggesting for the whole movie. Like he's, he's, he says something near the end that's actually very bleak that suggests he might be thinking of ending his life. And and I think that it's odd to have a movie that throws that in towards the end of a movie, and yet I didn't leave feeling like, oh, this was a depressing movie, you know? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, that that's kind of cool that his experiences are kind of on the tail end of this very frustrating existence where he's he's kind of been chasing his art and and although like his 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 drive is questioned a little bit by one of the by Carrie Mulligan's character, mm-hmm. none of them have to do what he has to do to get gigs and travel as much and, and it's it's some it's 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 an exhausting existence it seems like mm-hmm. so it, it almost reminded me uh, it wasn't quite as bleak but a serious man oh yeah. Just the way yeah. that he was taking beatings—that was that, that was an hour and a half of a man <clears throat> taking beatings. A serious man. A, or, yeah. No, no. I was actually thinking yeah. of that movie a lot with this one, where it's again, and a serious man though. It's so rare for a Coen Brothers movie to center on a guy who tries not to do anything wrong. Yeah. And a serious man—it's all about this guy trying to make the right moral choices, <laughs> you know. But I agree. I thought that that was the Coen Brothers movie that it that most came to mind in terms of the tone of this one. Yeah. And it's also the, a serious man can be kind of a hard sell 
for some people too, it just is. because yeah. there's almost nothing. There's nothing glamorous about the the characters, the setting, the storyline. Yeah. This at least had some, I thought, rather I, really impressive performances in it. I thought the music yeah. was great. I love the music for yeah. sure. And there's even a great like funny scene where there's a song that they're 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 performing in the studio that. It, it it really plays out. You know, I like the fact that they gave all the songs time to breathe. But yeah. once you realize it's I mean, it's not a musical, but it it's one of those movies where there's three or four scenes where someone plays a song from beginning to end, and you just kind of watch them perform and you yeah. watch people react. They're, well, I, in terms of the visuals, I this is something I I think about a lot just because I like to consider myself somewhat of an artist in some ways. Um, it's something about the color palette that existed prior to 1990 something mm-hmm. the 80s and the 70s and 60s and 50s. there's something about the way everything looked especially early 90s where you where you see like the spillage or I'm I'm sorry uh 80s early 80s where you see the spillage from the 70s and how things used to look and mm-hmm. the kind of transition in the 80s where uh when it takes place in the 60s it took place but, in 61 yeah yeah so that um I, I used to look at like signage and stuff like that from the 60s and it was one of the most beautiful times in terms of just the way things looked mm-hmm. i don't know about obviously not the way people were being treated something really beautiful about this movie that that is not existent in today's times in terms of the way signs look the way cars look the way people look mm-hmm. the way they they got a lot of people that looked like they were from that time the the, the clothes were, were like a brownish sort of thing going on constantly and mm-hmm. it was either a brown or a black or white and even Logan then, the color palette—it's a very—it's like a wintry, yeah. like it's a, like an overcast look. Yeah. Everything's kind of kind of muted, muted, muted colors, and and some and there's something I I think that things like that. If if I notice that in a movie, I think that that is a sign of a good movie. On top of it, just being a good character study of a person. I mean, there were some lulls. It felt slow at times. Like it really, man. If if you're gonna flesh out a song. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to show the road for a minute. And then you show, uh, I don't know, a tree for that's that can be kind of exhausting. See, I don't know that I ever felt I think I never felt like I was experiencing a lull, but I did feel like the movie lulled me into like a like a relaxed state. Almost so much that when the movie ended, it was one of those movies where you can tell, you know, it ended because the credits came up, not because like the credits come up and you could feel the room full of people going, oh, okay. Yeah. All mm-hmm. right, I see. But I think I kind of knew that. Like I read months ago, I read a reference where the one of the Coen brothers said that they worried that they didn't have a plot and then they came up with this cat <sighs> and that then they were like, we're fine. We've, we've got enough of a plot. And so I, would, I came into this expecting it to be more of a character study. And so I think I was looking forward to that, which is a little odd because I remember reading in, in advance about, it's based on Dave Van Ronk, who was a... Uh, really influential musician in the late 50s, early 60s, mm. you know, in the Greenwich Village folk scene. And he's one of those guys that I haven't heard of, but, you know, you look at who he's influenced and it's like, oh, he influenced Bob Dylan and Joni Mitchell and Leonard Cohen and all these all these people who everyone else was influenced by. And I was when I was watching the movie, I was thinking like, oh, I wonder if, if anyone who's like a fan of Dave Van Ronk is like watching this movie going, Dave Van Ronk wasn't, a, wasn't a, an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> 
you know, it's like it's not like a very flattering portrait of this guy, not just yeah. in terms of who he is, but in terms of like what his chances are. Like the movie really does not. It's not like it's about watching a guy get beaten down, but you really do feel that, you know, it's not. It's just not going his way. And there's yeah. several scenes where in a more conventional movie, you might have seen, like there's a scene where he plays a song for an important uh, agent and promoter, and it you know it could be his big shot. And the way that plays out is just different from what you're expecting. Happen, but it kind yeah. of, it just feeds into this guy's feeling of like, okay, what now? You know, and you even see what he's willing to do at the end of the story yeah. is he's, you know, just like anyone who's ever made music maybe has had that moment where they thought, ah, fuck this, I'm just going to hang up the guitar. It's just not worth the heartache of putting myself into this. Is that thing, I think that thing is, I think all of us have felt that, especially since all of you you guys have like musical experience. It's that thing where you, you do something and in the moment it never feels as impactful as it actually is. In the moment it never feels like, anybody really listens to you it never really feels like anybody really soaks it up except for you you're in the moment you're creating this stuff you love it and you put you're putting it out into the world and it may be reaching more people than you think and that and it, that's how this movie felt a little bit like the shit that he was going through um uh, felt very real and sad but maybe his impact was a lot bigger than he thought like maybe it was the you know what i mean like people people I don't care how much my family loves me. If I was shitty at something, mm -hmm. they wouldn't be behind it as much as they would be if I was decent at it. And I guess he didn't realize that, like, right? No, I was like, he, I think, if, I think had, if you really sucked at something, the people that love you would probably try to find some way. Yeah, and and nobody ever did that to him. They were yeah. like, you need to keep doing this. Right. And and it's it's that thing where like maybe you are impacted. Even more. when he's being shot down, he's he's being told you're not a lead guy, but you could be in a band, or you yeah. need to you know you need to change this or that. But no one's saying quit. You yeah. suck. I'm not saying you're horrific at this. Yeah. Like, I don't know. It's an interesting thing. Like, it, I don't know. I, it's one of the first movies, especially that part. You think there's gonna be this turn mm -hmm. when he meets yeah. this guy, and then it's like. No. Well, the other thing that was interesting to me about that is that you think of that folk mu that folk movement, and it always seems like it's a bunch of kind of proto. It's like post beatnik, before hippie. There's all these people. So you pictured it being this like this community, but then you see in this story that like you know even though he's talented and he's obviously got all these friends and he's willing to perform, there's this weird. I shouldn't say he's got all these friends. He's got all these acquaintances. But, like, there's this weird isolation that he's able to feel, and you don't feel like he's getting any of that joy of yeah, that community. community and sense, I mean, yeah. I know even sometimes, like, trying to keep a band together when everybody's life is pulling them in different directions is really hard. But I'm saying that from the perspective of a guy who's 40 and has, uh, you know, bandmates who are, who are 40 or pushing 40, and we're all sort of doing it for, for different reasons. When you're young and you're doing it the way this character is doing it, it's, you know, that uncompromising quality, that... That I'm an artist. That you, you know, when he's there's a scene where they want him to sing a song at a dinner party, and he, that's the scene I was referring to where he blows up. He's like, he doesn't want to be asked. He doesn't want to be a performing monkey for somebody. Like clearly, he's got issues around it. But there is something. I mean, at no point does the movie point to him and say he doesn't have the goods. Like the movie actually allows us to maybe even be more impressed with him than the people around him. Yeah. Because I was, you know, I was impressed with Oscar Isaac's voice, and I thought his guitar playing was. Was, was very entertaining to watch. And at first, I was wondering, is he faking that? But it's pretty apparent that the guy's a real musician, so. Yeah, yeah it was said somewhere it said that, like, I think all of them pretty much perform the songs live. Really? Mm -hmm. uh, wow. 
Even that Justin Timberlake cat? Even that guy. I mean, he's, yeah. I've heard he's got some, some yeah. pipes. I don't know. Maybe he has a future in performing. <laughs> Maybe he does. This could be his start. <laughs> yeah, if Adam Driver's uh, background vocals on the song that he performs on were... were were maybe the the silliest and funniest thing in the movie. But in that moment, okay, you were talking about some of these scenes playing out a little too long with the song. Did you not find in some of those moments that making you sit through the whole song, I mean, there's definitely something about that. Like they know that a normal movie would cut halfway into one of those oh, songs yeah. and they're making you watch the whole thing. So in that sense, did what do you think the reason for that was? Do you think it was to point up the, the actual lives of these people and how they actually spend so much of their time performing? Or do you think that the movie is like, honestly trying to maybe revive an interest in this old music the way that oh brother Where out thou did with uh yeah with bluegrass you know maybe maybe that's maybe that's it i think there's something about i don't know letting you into it it was a really good it was really good at bringing you into the world that all these people lived and i and that's the thing that reeled me in mm-hmm the thing that they're incredible at is making you feel like you're a part of this world and that maybe is one of the things like it's like you go to the club, you hear the song before you go on, you're nervous, mm-hmm. you go on and you play or you do something, whatever it is that you do. I I, I can relate. I don't do music, but like with stand up, I feel that like I you see somebody go up, you listen to them, you, you hear I think it all any kind of performing, any performing is the same. In that where there's sense. like a, a roster of yeah. people, you're like listening to the other person. You're like, oh, okay, oh cool, that's pretty good. And you talk to you talk to the club owner. You talk to that's so weird. That whole experience. Well, you know how you did. Yeah, that's one thing. Is deep in your gut, you know how you did. <laughs> yeah. And then you know other people. You have to kind of decode what other people say to you. You know, like no one's gonna say. I mean, it's rare that someone walks up to you and says, "You suck." Yeah, I don't know. You've you've played a lot of shows, Steve. Do you ever have anyone walk up to you and say you suck? Never. Have you? That could also oh. be because we didn't suck. Well, I, I, I will say there've been there've been nights where I sucked, and I never oh, no. have, I've oh, never heard um, that. Yes. And so so what know, I'm saying I, is, I, I, there are people that were yeah. like in in the inner circle, yeah. like where oh, you're yeah. like where you're like, tell me right now, yeah, what are the areas of improvement? Right. <laughs> I'm talking more about whatever that fear is about getting up there. You feel like if you make a mistake, they're going to slash your tires and break a bottle and yeah. gouge your eyeballs out with it. But no, they just might ignore you. Worst case scenario, no one's going to make eye contact yeah. with you because I, you suck. I one right, time right. bombed. So it's, so it's like it's all about like getting up on stage and being willing to perform and that there is there is something to do you have what it takes in that moment and this movie does seem to kind of suggest that if you're able to command that crowd you know yeah. that there is something to that yeah that stuff is that stuff's so nerve-wracking mm-hmm. oh i bombed one time and a guy told me he he said it like that like i i got off the stage and he like not even like thirty seconds after I got off the stage, he said, "Oh, you fucking bombed, man! Mm-hmm. You didn't tear what?" I, I was, I left. I left. I was so distraught. But, but then I was like, fifty people saw that. I'll be okay. <laughs> I'll be One time okay. I played a show. Uh, this was at a little little uh, hole in the wall club that was like where I grew up, Birmingham, Alabama. It was like it was the club where all the nationally known acts came to but it was just a little shithole and i I heard so many bands that played there that like you know big bands that would be like you'd hear them walking out going let's go play a real fucking club or whatever like people (laughs) hated coming to play this little place but i played a show there and and someone in my band stuck a um stuck a boom box in the back of the the club just to catch our performance because sometimes you put a put it in the back of the room you might actually get kind of a cool bootleg you know of the performance and so we we played and there's a part where I stopped and I was on stage and I was like, I got a tune up. I was out of tune on that last song. And someone who was back there playing pool very near the boombox says, 
you've been out of tune all night. (laughs) (laughs) But to the person's credit, they didn't shout it. Right, they said it to their buddy. It just it happened to be that my friend's grandmother's boombox, you know, which was perched on the on the rail in the back, caught, it caught that. It. So you heard this. You heard this post. I heard myself on stage going, "Okay, guys, going to play another song. Sorry, that last one I got a little out of tune." And then to someone who's just not under the spell at all in the back. But I don't know. I mean, it's like it's still not that bad. I don't know. I think it's kind of interesting. It's like you see this guy who clearly, you know, he's got it. He's he was part of a duo. He cleared it. They seem to have had some success. There seems to have been a song that they were known for. And so, like, he's not able to get his solo career off the ground. But, I mean, it, it does almost seem like his willingness to give up near the end might be like a self-preservation thing. Mm-hmm. And it might be what he needs to do because he's not getting much joy out of this. It, interesting thing about him was, like, I felt like the initial of getting in your own way, it almost because of what we find out of hap- what happened to his partner, yeah. you know, his duo partner, it almost seems like he really maybe never even wanted to happen. You know, you yeah. ne- you're never told that he wanted to be a solo artist. You know, you're almost like had that decision not been made by another person, would he still be enjoying success and not even be in this situation, you know, where he's trying to be right in this mold of what they're trying to get him back into. Yeah. He didn't ask for this. Exactly. So I was almost a little compassionate for him in a lot of ways, like, and in the moments where he was like, you know, in the session and being offered this and, his in his audition, uh, you know, when he was kind of kind of shot down, but then kind of a an offer mm-hmm. uh, of a different kind, and it, it's just like you know, I didn't ask to be like this to begin with, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go do something else that I I don't have any interest in doing either. You know, yeah. like did, did that come off? To no, you I know all? exactly like, what you're saying. That's a that's a that's a good observation. I kept thinking that the whole movie was like I feel like he's his own worst enemy at this point. But putting him in this point, I don't know if it's him that did that. It yeah. could have been a decision of somebody else's, you know, that, yeah. that made that happen. And, and and his reaction at the dinner party, that kind of bottled up moment, you mm-hmm. know, like it almost makes me feel like there might be some blame there that he feels for what happened beyond just feeling bad about it. Right. I feel like there might be like a, I might not be like this if that didn't happen. Yeah. I don't yeah. know. But I mean, that, that's something right, that I right. walked like, away there's, there's a certain amount of anger that's yeah. directed at somebody who's not around to... To, for him to direct it to at. To take it out on, yeah. So maybe he kind of like, that might be a part of the motive, the the underlying motivation of what's getting in his way still, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But, you know. Also, also if it just, we should we should have mentioned by now too that if if you're one of those people that likes cat memes, there's a couple of really cute shots of a cat in this in this film. <laughs> and I mean, grab, I, grab the screen captures of yeah, the trailer. Yeah, you definitely you heard an entire couple. room full of people go, oh Yeah. At a couple of points. Not me though. I'm not a cat guy. No, you're not a cat guy. The music was great. Just to say it again, I thought I mean mm-hmm. definitely want to grab the soundtrack. And it's like songs that are just cover songs, right? I think I think a couple, a couple of them were written for the movie. Oh, for I the might movie, be wrong, okay. but I think a couple of them, you know T Burn T Burn T Bone Burnett who produced the Oh Brother Where Art Thou right, right, right. soundtrack and actually has you know has done a lot of that kind of rootsy rock stuff. He he actually I think he's actually been music supervisor on a number of their films that have used contemporary music. Yeah. And um, yeah, he, he had a hand in putting this together. I'm, I I think a couple of originals were written. The one thing is that was distracting to me that is regarding the music was isn't the guy from uh, Mumford and Sons singing on a couple? Hearing his, I know he was involved in producing. Hearing his the voice, there's too. like a song that plays on the soundtrack towards the beginning of this movie uh, when the cat gets out of the apartment and he goes after it. The sound, I think he was singing that version. Okay. I found his voice. To sort of distracting, like even if he sounds authentic, 
his voice sounds very contemporary to me, okay. and I found myself. It's like it didn't sound like the era as much as when they're in the studio doing the not song. Justin Timberlake either. And, yeah, well, no, Justin Timberlake <laughs> actually did a great job of thought, singing in that old fashioned. I thought style. so too. Yeah. yeah, I'd say see it. Yeah, I liked it. I liked it a lot actually. So this is what? <laughs> That's how I feel about it. That's it. Yeah, I liked it. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, it, it starts its rollout next week, and it'll be wide December twentieth. So you know you have some time to find it when it, it gets its makes its way to you. Yeah, I mean if you're a Coen Brothers fan, you got to see it. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I think the standout to me was the music, and I think he did a great job. And, and like I said before, John Goodman. I've heard some talk of possibly you know him getting a supporting actor nod. I could see that. Yeah, me too. Um, I mean, given that you don't have to necessarily be in a huge chunk of a movie to be to get the supporting. Uh, nomination. I do think his character makes a real impression and kind of looms large over, not no pun intended, kind of looms large over yeah. the middle of the the film. So, and the supporting category this year seems like both actor and actress seems to kind of be up in the air. There's like a not a true front runner in, in a lot mm. of those categories. Um, but I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I, I still enjoyed the movie. I, it doesn't stand out to me though as a Coen Brothers. I mean, among the Coen Brothers films. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, Frozen's in theaters now. Inside Lewin Davis comes out next week, limited, and should be wide by the 20th. Cool. I didn't mean to get so quiet, man. I don't know. I was about to say, if we end now, this will be the most muted, thoughtful ending. <laughs> maybe we've it, ever maybe had. it goes with the ending of uh, Inside Lewin Davis. Maybe we should just. Well, when oh, you yeah. think about when people are going to be downloading this, it's going to be. Uh, this is Black Friday. This is our Black Friday episode. Oh, yeah, that's right. What's so it's mean? like I don't know. I'm just picturing <laughs> all the people. I'm just picturing all the people with all the with the food hangover from yesterday. So like oh, yeah. maybe people don't mind a little bit more of a of a muted, okay. introspective kind of ending. That's a good point. That's a good point, John. African American. Way to look ahead. Yeah. Look or ahead. or you know anyone who? What if someone is downloading this and then they they ran out? It's like if we get it out nice and early, they could be like in line at 5 a.m. for the PlayStation 4 or something mm-hmm. like that at Best Buy. You know what's what's what would you like to say to someone who's who's out there on Black Friday um, shopping, Ronald? May the odds be forever in your favor. Uh, use knives if you have to. And um, watch that overzealous security guard that's trying to let people in. Be careful. He could be your downfall. So, Words to live by. <laughs> How often have you gone out Black Friday shopping? Um... Once or twice. <laughs> like, never. Yeah. Once or twice. <laughs> those seem to be good suggestions, so just go ahead and run with yeah. it. You know those days where... Everybody knows that there's going to be a lot of people in a place. Yeah. Those are those days that I stay away from whatever yeah, that place I'm is. Right where we are right now. In your Online. Yeah. Online is the way to go because the Black Friday sales are just as good. So, yeah. so now you got a little shopping advice? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got nothing out of that. There you go. Who would have thought you'd get that on Movie Street? <laughs> Special bonus for you guys for listening. They all touch the way, on all things. All the they way touch to on through. all things. I imagine some, oh, he touch on all things. They even talk about shopping. <laughs> What just happened? That's one of his other brilliant voices. <laughs> they touch on all things. Who's this new character? I don't know. <laughs> Fat Mike. Fat. <laughs> Is he from New York? Yes. No way. No. The black guy. He's, he's a jokester. <laughs> Is Fat Mike talking about our show when he says yeah. that? You know that black guy? I like that black guy. I like him. I don't like many of them, but I like this one. <laughs> He's slightly racist. 
<laughs> and he's it's pretty racist. I'm sorry, I don't like many of them. And <laughs> he's he's getting slightly comfortable with gay marriage. Yeah, you can let him get married. Yeah, he's 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 stepping up. He's one of those guys who's okay with gay marriage, but he's like, hey, you can fuck a fucking hippo for all I care, as long as you do do it behind closed doors. Just I don't, don't do it in my restaurant. Yeah, I just don't want to see you holding hands. <laughs> oh, he owns restaurant. a restaurant. He owns yeah. an, of course he does. He owns an fat, Italian restaurant. Fat Mike. Yeah, of course he. Of course he does. It makes. Sense. I love how we're talking about racism, but we're engaging in the worst. <laughs> Stereotype. <laughs> but that's what we do. We talk about racism here yeah, on Movie Schmooks. Yeah. Well, that was episode 93. Stay tuned. Uh, yeah. I'm not mm. sure what we're going to be doing on episode 94 quite yet. One thing I think we can count on is we will be talking about some of the radio hits of 1994. Oh, yeah. We will be talking about some shit, my friends. Yes, we shall. <laughs> Finally, have a good list then. <laughs> Hit yeah. us up, moviesmovie.net, moviesmovie at gmail.com, and the Facebook page is probably the best space the best space to find us. Yeah. I that's, the right word. Hey, yeah. You got it right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, thanks for listening. And as always, you've made our day. What? One second, please. Please, Mr. Kennedy. Up on